welcome to this podcast from Adelaide Place Baptist Church. We are a community of disciples, apprentices of Jesus, who live and work in the city of Glasgow, and it's our vision to join God in the renewal of all things. Our discipleship to Jesus is for all of our lives, so as well as listening to this podcast, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday morning, or get involved in one of our missional communities, which are across the city throughout the week. Our prayer is that you encounter Jesus in some way through this podcast. More information can be found at apbc.net. It is lovely to be um, back. I like what you've done with the place. It's not what I expected, but nevertheless, it looks amazing. Um, genuinely, a, a real delight just to be to be back here talking to an empty row and talking to this side and this side. Um, it's been some people have been asking how's the sabbatical been. By the way, sorry, I need to just my name's Stephen. I serve as a pastor here, just in case uh, I've not had the chance to meet you before. And yeah, been on uh, sabbatical for three months, which was, uh, in a nutshell, a really good time. A real just blessing time to recharge batteries and I've said to Gordon beforehand I, I think it did what it was meant to do whatever that means but um, if you want to find out more well either come and buy me a coffee sometime soon or um, I'll find a way over the next couple of weeks just to I guess leak some of the things that I, I got up to and, and experience. Um, before we just reflect a wee bit on the, on the scriptures that you heard read I just want to give a couple of thank yous um, that were, while they're in my head and I remember. Firstly, obviously to David and Sam, who served and led through the whole time that um, I just kind of absconded, and uh, just brilliantly and through a time, a lot of time of change. And so just to thank David and Sam in particular, um, who... (laughs) And as well as that, uh, to thank the, the core leadership team um, and I'm going to include Colin McNeish in that as well. It seems more gets done when I go, so uh, that point's not been missed on me. Um, but obviously through a lot of change and the, the, the Light of Renewal project moving ahead, and just, uh, to be honest, it just felt like a real blessing to have a safe pair of hands over everything as I, I was away, and it made it a lot easier just to turn down some of the job offers that came my way. It was a joke. And... Um, and, you know, and a delight to come back to. So, yeah, I really appreciate just the support and the, the leadership from uh, the core leaders and Colin in particular as well for just driving us to the start line of the Light of Renewal project. So much appreciated uh, from that. Um, I want us to reflect a wee bit on this uh, story that I'm becoming to love in Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 5. Now, I know you've been in Mark's Gospel for the, for the last uh, number of weeks, um, I, I, I want us just to really lean into that. And I, my, my thinking and my prayers as I've been thinking about this passage is I think we could approach it from, uh, I guess, two vantage points. One, the, the woman, the, the woman who was bleeding for 12 years. Or else, two, from the disciples or the people in the crowd. You could probably put them together or parse them apart. So in the first instance, it's seeing this story and reflect, reflecting upon it through the lens of this uh, woman who's in a situation in a place of desperation and, and distress. And in this first instance, I think we should be aware that this, this passage t- touched on some really sad realities, painful realities, that, 
that with, maybe with familiarity with the text, we shouldn't allow just to, to numb us from actually some of the sadness of, that this woman um, experienced. And I pray that nothing will get in the way of a, a really simple invitation then from that vantage point as we think about it together. But for others, um, our ears may need to prick up a little bit more around the feeling or, of uh, feeling out of step with Jesus or struggling to find time for God, depicted by the disciples, just being slightly out of sync with what Jesus is noticing and with what Jesus is doing. And I, I, I remember speaking on this relatively recently, and for some reason, every time I think about this story, my mind goes back to a chapter in a book by a professor who I studied under uh, up in Aberdeen uh, University, and he, he makes this contrast between how pre-moderns viewed time and how we modern people with, with the second hand on the clock and a mechanized clock view time. And I'll save you his big philosophical download on sort of the pre-modern time and modern advent of the, the mechanized clock and everything like that. And he kind of makes the contrast through uh, describing the Benedictine monks who were apparently responsible for helping form the mechanized clock. Now, you might not know much about the Benedictine monks, the hours they practice, some like seven different hours in the day and one in the evening. They had a, a rule of life that was meant to help them form their lives around God. And so they invented the clock to help them with the accuracy of helping them be faithful with the practicing of this ours, which is meant to help them in their faithfulness and their participation of life around God. That's why they did it. It moved them on from just ringing their bells and, I don't know, watching the sun. They're just trying to figure out time. So that's what helped drive things forward. And um, John Swinton, he makes the, the contrast between how moderns with time with our, where we can break it down into the smallest unit and we've got all our equipment to do that. It can often give the illusion that time for us is something we control. It's driven by promptness, it's, it's driven by money, it's driven by output. And he says, his critique is this, we can very easily become a people who need to fit God in rather than fit in with what God is doing. Very easily become people that we fit the God part in rather than the way the Benedictine monks. Everything, time was received as a gift to orientate our lives around God. And I want to suggest we notice the urgency of Jesus in Mark's gospel in this reading to orientate his life around the kingdom of God and his father's will. Which is another way to say, to notice what Jesus does with his time and how he leans in. Now, Mark's gospel in general, and I don't know if you've picked this up as you've been reflecting on it, it kind of has a, a kingdom pace of its own that uh, I'll describe in a few moments. In general, Mark's gospel is a, it's one of my favorite. It's the earliest gospel um, that in terms of when it was recorded and written. So most scholars would view Matthew and Luke as relying upon uh, Mark as an early source. It's got some really interesting features. Mark likes to add some details about narratives in the story. He kind of does that to give you a really a sense of as if you were there. Just some of the details just draw you in to help you just imagine yourself uh, there in the crowd as he tells the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But it's seen as quite a, a pacey gospel, right? He comes out quick. There's no 
birth narrative. He's just straight into John the Baptist and then straight into the, the baptism of Jesus and then we're off and running into the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. And there are other features in the narrative that just kind of build this pace. For example, there's in the Greek, all we say as we read it in English, the, the word and is used a lot. If you read it, the whole gospel, you'll see and, a lot of sentences start with and, and it's and, and it's just, it gives the sense of, right, we're galloping here. Uh, Jesus is urgent about orientating around the Father's will. And as well as that, as well as these connecting words and, 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 and the sort of bursting into the, the life of Jesus and his ministry, you'll find way more than Matthew or Luke he uses word like at once or immediately, a lot. Like Luke actually edits out and Matthew does the same, but there's a sense of at once or, or immediately. And, and even in the, the temporal uh, sequencing of Mark's gospel, so the way he describes the passage of time, there's this sense where at the start it's like general time, after a few days, after six days, and time just passes quickly. And then it starts to slow when it comes to the passion narrative around the, this, the events of the cross, it's more about what's happening that day, what's happening the next day, and the hour. And so he's telling so Jesus is urgent about orientating his life around the Father. He's, he's not in a rush, but he's urgent about the Father's will, about seeking the kingdom of God. And, and Mark's gospel is designed to lead us uh, to see that. And it's easy to see that when you read it as a whole. And so we pay attention, perhaps, and, and lean in whenever we find this moment in the story, the situation of this woman bleeding that causes Jesus to stop and to take up some time, and he turns around to tend to this woman. It's been well established that this narrative of the bleeding woman has, has been sandwiched in the middle of this story of Jairus' daughter uh, on purpose. And it's also, it's this synagogue leader that, um, whose daughter uh, who eventually dies. And this section is meant to be read together as well with Jesus when he had calmed the storm, the wind and the waves. So we've had Jesus calm the storm, the wind and the waves. And then we have the story about Jesus freeing the, uh, the man from the demon and the demon-possessed man. And then we have the story of the, the bleeding wound sandwiched in between the, the resurrection of this little girl that, that ensues. And so Mark, is, it, these whole things are meant to be coming together to describe Jesus to um, his audience. And we, so we should bear that in mind as we, as we listen to it. It's also interesting when you read the gospel itself as, in larger sections that in Mark 3, we have a, a really negative reaction to, from the synagogue, and we see people pushing against Jesus. And now in Mark 5, just a couple of chapters later, we have the synagogue leader coming and falling at the feet of Jesus, asking for help. I, I, I don't know what to read into that, but maybe, maybe there's a sense of actually in a time of crisis, suddenly, you know, he, he just the need goes up and he just comes to Jesus. And whatever he tolerated before in the, the scene before, I don't know, that doesn't tell us. So, so he slows down, but what, Jesus slows down, but what do we know about this woman's plight that we hear of in this story? Well, presumably we can say uh, she was a woman of some means because Mark tells us that she had tried everything. She had gone to physicians, and now for her to go to physicians and to spend all she had 
means, well, she had money, not everybody had money, but she had money, she was obviously of some stature to be able to go to physicians to try and sort her problem. But as, as Mark tells us, she got nowhere with it. But it indicates to us that likely that this woman was once a woman on top of some uh, stature. But now she has been subject to this bleeding for 12 years. And the Greek reads as literally being with a flowing of blood, leaving her, of course, if you've read Leviticus any time recently, which I'm sure you all have, um, Leviticus 15 tells us about the, the ceremonial uncleanness and what you, if you're unclean due to bleeding, menstrual bleeding that says in the, according to the law, well, you, you are banned, you're an outcast, you cannot attend. And so you are, are an, as, as far as functionally, you are a social outcast. And so this would have been this uh, woman's scenario. Now, blood also, it's easy to miss, blood in the Hebrew Bible, in the Hebrew imagination was the source of life as we know it today. And so the picture here is literally, it's her life flowing out of her that is described in this passage. And in the same way, it's, it's paralleled with the 12 years of her bleeding with the 12-year-old girl. Mark is, is saying, look, it's, re, it's really the same thing. Both are quite extreme. This little girl's life is ebbing away onto death, and she dies. And in the same way, it's as if this outcast woman who once was somebody, her life is ebbing away before her. And she, she too is almost at the point of death. Except she's heard about Jesus. She's heard about Jesus. I don't know what she's heard, but she's heard about Jesus and she has got herself to Jesus. Uh, for she was saying to herself, and this is probably the only indication we get in this moment of what this woman's faith was looking like functionally. And through the omniscient narrator, we get this insight into her mind. And it reads like this. It's, it's like she's saying to herself, if I could just touch his robe, if I could just touch his robe, if I could just touch his robe, I will be saved. I will be healed. If I could just touch his robe. That is just how we have it presented through the narrator in Mark's gospel. And so she does. She bursts through the crowd and risking all of what she would be making people clean and unclean. She was there and she was no holding back. She bursts through the crowd and she touches Jesus. And as the text tells us, immediately, that's Mark, immediately her bleeding stopped after she had touched Jesus' robe, and she felt in her body that she was free from her suffering immediately. And it's at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. And he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Enter the moment, if you see it from the vantage point of, of the, the disciples. Um, they... Are, this is the disciples were this is a slightly confused with what Jesus is doing moment and there's a number of these in the gospels in the New Testament so other examples are whenever the children are wanting to come to Jesus and he's like no no and the disciples are sending them away and Jesus says no what are you doing these are the, belong to the kingdom of God bring them in or another moment is whenever they're wanting to make Jesus king and they're like now is the time and Jesus just slips off saying now is not the time not by force not like this 
because he knows where he has to go on the cross. And this is just another moment where the, the disciples are confused. And they're going like, gee, there's a sense here of the narrative pushing towards the need. Jairus's daughter is dying. You need to go there. And the, the, the narrative is dragging this way. And yet Jesus stops and takes up time in this moment to say, who touched my clothes? And it's interesting, as one commentator point out, it's the disciples' common sense pulling them or pushing them in the opposite direction of Jesus. It's a common sense thing to do. When, when there's great need over there, it's just to head for it. And through their common sense, they're saying, Jesus, this is a crowd. There's people around by everybody's touching you. Why ask a stupid question? It's kind of all they can see. And so they miss the point for a second. And th then a voice comes in, don't worry the teacher anymore. No point, it's too late. The girl is dead, which is just added in to heighten the, the drama of the timing of, of what is going on here. For a moment, the perspective is Jesus just isn't seeing what's going on here. He should be moving this direction, and he's not. And the interesting thing, and, and, and it's funny how, you know when you've read a text many times over or grown up with it, and yet you still read it and see something different? I, it's, I don't know how that happens, but uh, I, I read it one more time this week, and then verse 32 just jumped out at me in general, just again with this picture of, of the common sense thing was to move and to go in this direction. And it says in verse 32 that Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. So he, it wasn't immediately obvious. And again, he was holding his own against all the sense to go this way. And he's just like, no, no. Power left from me in this crowd. And I want to speak to that person. And I don't know how long it was, but it was obviously long enough for, for people's anxiety levels to go through the roof and, and, and want to try and usher him on. And for a, a second, um, the disciples, the crowd, were out of sync with what Jesus was doing. Until eventually the, the woman falls at Jesus' feet and Jesus turns in this timely encounter to make time for this broken woman's healing to be complete. It's, it's, it, there's no sense here in the text of a, a sort of, oh, it's great to see you at church. I'm glad you got something from a ministry. And yeah, we should really catch up for that coffee we've been trying to for the last three years. And we'll see you sometime. No, no, no. There's no sense of that here. In this moment where he has, the, before this time with this woman, there's a sort of thoroughness to his tenderness as he in, encounters her just straight off the bat there, there's no purification rituals required it's just sufficient in and of itself in this encounter there was a whole rigmarole of what was needed to be done go to the priest and get clean and then declare and then you can go back to worship none of that was involved and then there's four things Jesus does in this encounter that are really important. The first thing, the first thing out of his mouth is he affirms her identity as a beloved daughter. First thing out of his mouth is he says, this is a woman 12 years outcast, not among the family, not. First word out of his mouth, daughter. He, loc he locates her as the beloved one who belongs in a way public but private and tender. Beloved daughter. 
And then he says, he praises her for her faith. She's pronounced. She's pronounced. And, and the way I imagine this is, this is a public pronouncement. That she is free from her affliction. Again, no, no rigmarole, no ritual. In, in the public domain, this woman, this daughter, is pronounced free from her suffering and free from her affliction because of her encounter with Jesus. And our reading finished in Mark's gospel section just with the, the sense of what's going on here. Jesus just says, and by the way, to the, to the family who are worried about what's going on with Jairus' daughter, do not fear, just believe, just believe. And in here, Jesus' disciples just get a sense of, right, so we, he's in control over here. He's ahead with what's going on over in that situation. And he will find out, he sorts that situation out, raising Jairus' daughter. And he was right about the father's will here, bringing his healing presence to somebody who was a complete social outcast and whose life was ebbing away and they didn't even notice it. And so... It's, it's a powerful indication where Mark is describing to us what Jesus is like. And, of course, it's, it's something about faith, right? And we'll, we'll come to that in a minute. But before it's even about our response of faith like the woman, um, there is something that this faith is dependent on. Before it is about us going like, right, oh, maybe we need to sort our time and our attention and schedules, which it will get to that point. Before any of that, Mark wants us to realize just who this Jesus is. He wants us to be in wide-eyed wonder like the disciples were to say, to piece it together, the one who calmed the waves, the one who cast out the demons, the one who's, who stopped this woman from bleeding, the one who raised the dead to life. He's in control but he also has time for you. And there is time for your healing. He wants to be present to you. And he will not rush because this is what his kingdom is for, is to bring us back into the presence of a God and put things back together. There is time for your healing. And so often it is that way around where we have the attentive presence of and power of Christ, the attentive presence of Christ interested in us no matter what age and stage of, of our lives we are at. And yet it's often the crowd or us who don't make the time, who don't have the time even for what Jesus may want to do. The crowd of our lives pushing us on to real needs, real needs. These things over here are serious. We, we need to get at them. They're responsibilities. It's life and death. These are real things. And yet, with Jesus, there is always time for our healing to come into his presence. So the marriage that needs healing, but there's no time. There's too much responsibility. There's kids. There's, there's a responsibility. There's no time to have that conversation is what we normally say. But with Jesus, there's one who's confident who can lead through because he's, he's powerful, he's controlled, he's a healer. The layers of anxiety that can build up in our lives, like a death by a thousand paper cuts, week by week, we're scared to attend and actually look at what's going on here. We don't have time to deal with it, but Jesus, Jesus invites us to come into the carefree kingdom and say, look, come into my non-anxious presence. Come and live different. Because I have time. I, I have time for you. I have time for your hurting. I have time for your healing. 
The church fathers, um, you may wonder who they are, but let's just say the, church, the, leader, the church fathers, early interpreters, many interpreters rightly point that the crux of this story or its application is rightly about just the, the faith of this uh, woman. You know, the fact that we are here in Glasgow in whatever year it is, and we are talking, reflecting upon this bold woman who was an outcast who just reached out and touched Jesus. The fact that she is held as an example to us is incredible. And she helps us, I think, to exercise our, our faith today. And in at least two ways. One way I think is really important is about us exercising our faith in terms of on being church, on being the sort of uh, people. The church has called out people, sent back into the world to be his hands and feet, to be his presence. According to the book of Acts, we carry on the mission of Jesus. Or in John's gospel, as the Father sends me, so I send you. And so if we are to exercise our faith, if Jesus, in other words, is willing to slow down to notice person like the woman. The question is, will we be found today doing the same? And this is where the text in James comes in. The empty faith versus the faith that actually looks like substance and practice and is is a tangible reality. On being his church, and, and you might want to have a conversation. Who are the people around our, our context who would be the outcasts, the forgotten ones, the ones that don't belong here, that get forgotten? Because you can bet there's, there's going to be times where Jesus said, we might have an agenda over here, but be very careful when Jesus just starts to show you something right before your eyes of people being left out, people being treated wrongly, judged before we've even said a word to them. If we're going to be church, the first words out of our mouth, do you want to become a beloved son and daughter of the king? Not jump through this hoop, jump through that hoop. There's a a powerful thing about what it means to be the church, to be found making time for the outsider, however that goes. And that's how we exercise our faith as, as his people. Maybe that's also about how we minister to one another. It's not just the brief coffee, but think about Jesus' example of how he ministered. Just that thoroughness and tenderness, both of those things together, to actually go like, let's go one step deeper than just chat. Can we, can we actually minister to each other on a level that is, do you know the living water that, you can, that can just affirm with everything that's going on in your life, you're still loved, you're still held? You're still valuable, that we're with you no matter what. This is what it means like to, to move and have our being like Jesus as we carry on his mission. And that's the first way we exercise our faith, thanks to this woman in this story. And then the second, final, is just, is really about on being in, in, in desperate need. Just, just in, in need today. It's, I was reading the chat, I was about to read a chapter of a, this book and I couldn't even understand the title of the chapter and I was about to apply my mind to try and wrestle with some weird question about postmodernity as it linked to something else. I was like, I don't know if that's where people's minds are at this week, so why spew that up over them? Most people's realities as they present in a place like this is, 
I've got this going on, I've got that going on, I don't need a random abstract philosophical view on that right now, thank you. Don't mind having that conversation, not often what people need. And there's, there, there's just a sense here of us coming in prayer and, and naming our needs before Jesus and our hurts and our pain. It's always worth clarifying. When I sit down with people to pray for them, particularly if they're sick, um, I, I, I don't assume that healing happens often. I don't um, assume that when healing doesn't happen, it's their faith that's the problem. I think that's a dangerous way to go, a harmful way to go. In this now and not yet of God's kingdom, we, we just simply have to wait and wait until Jesus returns and consumes the kingdom and, and, and restores our world. I don't have that assurance, but I do always have the conviction that as I sit down and look at somebody and pray about their life and their situation, their family member, a loved one, I do have the conviction like the psalmist of Psalm 116 says, I love you, Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy because he turned his ear to me. He stopped. I will call on him as long as I live. I have the conviction that he listens when we pray. When we pour out our heart to him, he draws near. And in his wisdom and his goodness and his ways that are not ours, he he comes through. He comes through. And so Mark's gospel is asking us actually to, through this story, to, to, to lift our heads above the dead ends we face. To, to lift our heads above the, the, the thing that falls in the category of no hope, no solution. To, to look at the fears that we have or the hurts and to look to the Christ whose voice commands wind and waves, who shatters evil forces, liberates the downtrodden, and gathers people into his family. It's just lifting their head to, to one who's just radiating in love and, and goodness because he is saying to us, he has time. There's time for you. There's time for your healing. And this is a message that we are to receive and this is a message that we are to freely share as we engage with people, there is time for them and there is time for their healing. May we reach out to him in faith today in our times of desperate need and in our mission to be his presence today. May his spirit help us orientate our lives around his purposes for his glory and for the sake of the world. Let's take a moment to just come and practice that as we come to the feet of Jesus. In a few moments, I'm just going to lead us in a, a, a response of contemplation through three questions, three movements. I'll talk you through and give some space after each question just to, to, to come and bring ourselves at the feet of Jesus. But allow me just to pray before I lead us in that. Father, we confess that we are often fearful and are good at hiding our desperation, are good at ignoring our neighbor in need at times. Help us 
to be wooed back into orientating our lives around you, Jesus, your kingdom. Not fitting you in, but living and having our being in you, receiving your presence and offering your presence. We thank you that you are who you say you are. We fall at your feet. In Jesus' name, amen. Just as we are heads bowed, eyes closed, let me lead us in just a space to contemplate. As disciples or would-be disciples or spiritual seekers, reviewing our lives over the past few days. First of all, where, where or when did you experience God's goodness this past week? Spend a few minutes, a few moments, just giving thanks for that. Maybe noticing when you felt near to him or felt enjoyment in the last week. It could be a conversation that brought joy. It could be a gift that you received a new opportunity that opened up, or just maybe time to be alone that you so badly craved. Where did you experience God's goodness this past week? might just be the grace to say thank you for helping me to keep going of persevering of being here today to breathe to be alive in your presence we say thank you god thank you for our lives and just a moment as well to notice when did you feel in the last few days or week you left God behind or just failed to notice him. Maybe a situation you did things your own way, you rushed ahead, forgot prayer, just didn't think or entered into a conversation where you weren't really present or actually listening. And now you think about it, you're talking to people who are hurting. When did you feel like you left God behind this past week? Acknowledge that before God.
just finally, what situation or who is causing you hurt or concern right now? As you push through the crowd and come to Jesus, name the situation, person, or the pain that you still want to bring into his healing presence. It could be something very personal and painful. It could be a missional impulse that is close to your heart. It could be something you've struggled with for a really long time. Again, bring that into the presence of God. Father, thank you that when we call, you answer. When we come in the name of Jesus, you lean in. We give thanks for that and worship you.